Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Good to hear your voice. It's been uh, a little while. It has been a little while. Well, we've been busy and, uh, you know, it's not like the world uh, doesn't continue ticking on without us. But uh, but boy, I, you know, I didn't expect it to be ticking quite as much as it has been since we uh, since we last got together. Well, it, uh, we, we'll call it our extended summer break. Yes. Yeah. Um, what's interesting is when we last recorded, we were uh, marveling at how the war in Ukraine was still going on that uh, Russia hadn't hadn't flattened them like everybody kind of expected. And here we are months later, war in Ukraine still going on. Boy, those Ukrainians, uh, wow. When people, you know, when push came to shove, they really stepped up because uh, it's also showing that the, the deficiencies in, in the Russian military. Well, yeah, and you know, like you said, it's seven months later, you know, and Russia, among among a lot of people, thought, well, this was going to be a kind of blitzkrieg. It was, uh, you know, they're going to roll roll right in with their uh, their ex Soviet military might, and uh, and just you know roll, you know, not not unopposed through the country, but you know, in the face of overwhelming uh, military superiority, that Ukraine would be overrun within within a couple of weeks. They say, well, here we are seven months later, Ukraine is pushing back the, the Russians, and the Russians now are emptying out the jails and, and the asylums and uh, grabbing people off the street. And, uh, you know, they, they, you know, they said they, uh, some guy who was convicted of cannibalism has now uh, been recruited into the the Russian military, and you've got to wonder, wow, scraping the bottom of the barrel, here are people who are completely untrained, that they are under-equipped, they're certainly unmotivated, because they don't want to be there, yeah. uh, and, you know, and you know, undisciplined. Yeah, no, I was going to say, no sense of discipline or following orders. But, you know, for the last, you know, two, three, four hundred years, Russia has a history of just throwing people at at a war. Yes. Um, armed or unarmed, they just kind of swarm over like an anthill and people are cheap. You know, they they don't care. You know, certainly Putin doesn't care how many people of his, you know, of his own citizens he kills in the in the pursuit of glory and his ego. And that seems to be exactly what their plan is at this point. It's like, here, here's a rusty old rifle run in the direction of Ukraine. Tell me how it works out. Yeah, I, I wonder, there are these reports that uh, Putin ha is facing uh, internal strife and resistance because of this. I, I wonder how much of that is, is Western wishful thinking. I think a lot of it, you know, is is Western wishful thinking, and anyone who does seem to uh, to complain about, uh, you know, even mildly that the war in Ukraine was maybe not such a great idea. They, they accidentally they, fall out of windows or fall off of boats. Well, you know, you know, they fall out of window while having a heart attack uh, on onto uh, onto a bathtub full of plutonium. Yeah. Um. It's <laughs> and you know, and it's a terrible accident. Uh, so that does have a, a cooling effect on criticism, but you've got to think there has to be a, a small group of people uh, close to the top of power who have got a lot to lose. Uh, when you start taking money away from the oligarchs, they get unhappy. If uh, you know, you're uh, in government in, in, in Russia, you know, a lot of that is at the whim of Putin, but you've got to be worried about your own situation with rioting in the streets and unhappy military. Because uh, the military cannot be happy about uh, what is going on there, because I think that that street works both ways. Putin's not happy with them, but they can't be happy with him having mm -hmm. put them in this situation. So that's a recipe for uh, for you know internal revolt. And as the people start, you know, and it's a well-worn Russian tradition, there uh, you know the people take to the streets and toss out the government. Though I understand, I mean, the, 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 Putin effectively controls the media in Russia. And the stories I've read have indicated that as a result, the majority of Russians polled. Uh, now, can you trust Russian polling? No. But the polls indicate that the Russian people are supportive of this war. But the more people that come back in body bags, it's going to be hard to continue to pretend that this war is, be, is being, I mean, the fact that it's even still going on has got to make some people in Russia wonder what's going on. Yeah, and you know they've had the phony Poloni uh, polls going on about uh, whether wanting they want to, uh, you know, the occupied territories. You know, they have a a free uh, a free referendum about do you want to join Russia? And there are a lot of ethnic Russians 
in in those border areas which which is what you know it started this whole war in the first place because that uh, that that low level civil war had been going on since you know 2014 i guess it was um and the international community has just said you know there's no way we're going to buy this uh, Zelensky's saying there's no way we're buying this because you know we have borders and you've got to respect these borders and it, all it does is get the backup of the international community which i think putin sadly misjudged as well you know, he's driven a couple more countries into the arms of NATO and the resolve and the, the willingness to send, you know, um, military uh, materiel and expertise and intelligence to the Ukrainian government. Uh, I, I think Putin sadly, sadly misunderstood mis, uh, and the willingness of Western countries, Canada included, to take in on a temporary basis, uh, you know, Ukrainian refugees. Yeah. And uh I think that he was probably improperly advised. I think he probably suffered from the circumstances where nobody wants to tell the leader what he doesn't want to hear. So tell him what he wants to hear. And that got him to misjudge what kind of resistance they were going to face. And it's uh, it's a marvel to see this happening. And I, you know, I like, like you and many others uh, hope for this thing to, to end soon with uh Ukraine maintaining its sovereignty, and uh, then we'll have to hear about all the the mass graves that the Russians have uh, have filled with yeah, and, uh, Ukrainians. Yeah, and you know, and that is, has turned Russia into a pariah state, and that's going to take a long, long, long time to uh, to wear off because the uh, various humanitarian groups, including the United Nations, are in there right now, and they are finding massive evidence of of terrible war crimes. You know the the torture of torture and killing of civilians, including children. You know, quite aside from you know the other war crime, which is you know the bombing of non-military ta targets and, and civilian populations. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, you know Russia is going to be wearing a black eye for a long, long time, and the dependency on Russian um, oil and gas. You know they keep threatening to turn the taps off for uh, for particularly Germany, but other parts of uh, of Eastern Europe over the winter. You know, you can do that once. And if they if they decide to do that, and make things uncomfortable, then everyone finds new supply lines because, you know, while Russia is convenient, it isn't the only game in town. And there is a real it's amazing that uh, a lot of countries, including Germany, are now uh, talking about firing up their uh, their nuclear reactors again germany was on, on the for forefront of, of shutting down uh, nuclear fuel mm -hmm. um you know the green party you know there was a real anti-nuclear early uh, earlier than everyone else um uh, sentiment in germany um but as they're finding out uh, you know uh, aside from the problems of um you know of of things like um, um, Fukushima, which was which was a natural disaster that happened to to a, a nuclear reactor, and uh, Chernobyl, which was a, a human error that uh, yeah. turned into a nuclear uh, disaster, when run properly, especially now they're looking at small modular reactors um, that that uh, are are much much you know, more like boutique reactors, not these great big infrastructure ones. Mm -hmm. They're finding that it's a carbon neutral fuel. Um, you, you still have to figure out what to do with the waste. You got to bury it deep and you got to, you know, bury it far away. But as soon as Russia turns off the taps and everyone turns to alternate fuels, and it could be solar, it could be wind, it could be all kinds of stuff. Then they're going to learn to live without Russia. And then Russia's got, a, a, you know, oil and gas that they can't sell to anybody. Um, and their economy is permanently ruined. So that faces them as well. Well, there's the question as to whether Russia can afford to turn off the taps. Yeah, uh, you know, they need those hard dollars to, uh, you know, to, to, to fund everything yeah, and to make and, those and to make the oligarchs rich. Yeah. And the oligarchs are really the, the power behind the throne in Russia. So, we, you know, it, it, we live in interesting times. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, we continue to. <laughs> um, also here in Canada. Uh, interesting how things have what i find interesting is the number of people who were uh, vocally anti-vax and vocally supportive of the trucker convoy which is uh, a minority of people in canada um they accuse trudeau of dividing the country and don't take any responsibility for the fact that their opinions are the dividing line yeah 
No, and and you know, you you if you almost feel sad for them, almost because you know the uh, the last of the mandates are coming off September thirtieth. You know the uh, which are the travel, the border. Um, and even masking on airplanes, uh, they're going to let it die on, uh, if you'll pardon the expression, on September 30th, even though COVID is, uh, is is rampant. I mean, the numbers of people hospitalized and dying of COVID are double what they were last summer. Um, but the, the secret is none of the provinces want to report those numbers anymore. And it's not in the press every day. I mean, you remember you know, early on, it, we, we had the daily death count, the daily hospitalization, the, the, the daily infection factor was reported four times a day and in every newspaper and on, you know, and now no one reports it because no one wants to hear it anymore. It's, it's not like it's not there. And the numbers are, you know, they're double what they were last year. And that last year was double what they were the year before. Um, people are still dying in in large numbers of COVID, um, mod moderated by the fact that we now have the vaccine. Um, thank God we have the vaccine. Um, I got COVID six weeks ago. I, have you had it yet? Uh, you and I had it at uh, roughly the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know, my case, I was quadruple vaxxed. Uh, and thankfully, you know, vaccination doesn't keep you from getting it, but it keeps you from dying from it, which I think is a bonus. Um, and it was, you know, not great. Felt like a bad head cold for me. One day I felt kind of a little fluey, and then I just kind of felt stuffed up for about another four or five days. And then I was through it. Um, lost, well, you, lost, you, lost 10 pounds. That was great. That's, um, I wish I had that, had that effect. <laughs> I, it was got, much got more rid of all my COVID weight with COVID. It was much more serious. Uh, myself and Leanna both caught it. I mean, she got it a few days later than me, obviously got it from me. Um, and we both were uh, feeling the effects for a couple of months. Uh, even after testing negative, I was uh, exhausted by like one, two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, I could feel my body working hard to, to try to do what it normally did with less energy. Um, I had brain fog. More than more so than usual. <laughs> you know, I was gonna uh, say, you know, you walked yeah. right into that one. Yeah. Um, and uh yeah, the it, it really and I found that it also affected my my moods. It, it I was much more downbeat um when I was uh you know suffering from the after effects of COVID. So it uh and I'm I'm triple vaxxed and it was uh I I, I I'm glad that I'm vaxxed because I, I I couldn't imagine having it longer or uh, having a worse case it was it was really miserable yeah as i say mine was much was shorter and a lot a uh, lot less and the odd thing is you know everyone in my family my you know my son my son brought it into the house uh and you know just gives you an idea you know we we're, were so careful you know we masked and we avoid going out we did all of those sorts of things you know we my wife and i work from home um and my you know son's at university but it was all remote learning last year so we we managed to avoid any of the vectors uh but you know we went out to a couple of things you and i were out at dinner together and there was like 50 or 60 people there and every time we went to one of those i'm like i'm gonna get it here where we got it was my son went to a uh a, a small gathering in someone's house four people four four of his friends mm. and they're more covid hygiene conscious than than even my wife and i are and they all tested themselves before they went to somebody's birthday and they all tested negative that morning and so they all went to the the thing and they you know played video games and ate pizza and did the stuff that uh, you know mm -hmm. people that age do and uh, the next day his friend called and said uh, uh i'm not feeling well i tested positive um and you know two days after that my son tested positive and then Two and a half days after that, I tested positive, and the day after that, my wife tested positive. But each of us had slightly different symptoms, which is really interesting about this disease because uh, you know I had very much a bad head cold, and uh, but my wife had uh, had a fever and a body ache and that sore throat. I didn't really have the sore throat, I, you know, and everyone just sort of had this mix and match of of different kinds of symptoms. Um, you know, it all seemed to progress about the same length of time. But, you know, everyone had a slightly different thing. I had no appetite, which is how I lost, you know, mm -hmm. I, I'd open up the fridge and I'd look in there going like, well, nothing, yeah. nothing appeals to me. I'm yeah. going to have some lemonade. So I lived on lemonade for like five days. Um, the, the lemonade diet, I'm going to write a book about it. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it, 
you know, uh, as they say in uh, on those ads for cars for vehicles on TV, uh, mileage may vary. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, uh, you know, the, I I was dealing with a uh, client who, when I mentioned COVID, said, "Yeah, I had it twice. I just call it the flu." And this is before I caught it. And then yeah. when I got it, and he realized how ill it made me, I I think he may have reconsidered because. There's people out there who say that they got it and it was like nothing more than a cold or a flu or a couple of days of uh, of discomfort. And they assume that that is the universal response. And of course, it's not. Um, no. And right. uh, but I think that I think that COVID has permanently transformed the political social landscape in this country. Uh, well, it's, it, it certainly became uh, a, a real uh to use a biblical word a shibboleth you yes. know a real dividing line between the, the way people look at the world and the way you you know you you look at your fellow citizens you know how selfish you are in terms of looking after other people i mean you know even now you know i i still wear a mask uh you know given the circumstances um and you know if i see if i go you know up to a, a counter and some, somebody's wearing a mask then I will put on a mask for their comfort and for their safety as well. Right. Uh, because I, I can tell that they are, you know, I was at the post office earlier today and they know me really well there. And, you know, as I'm walking up, I see everyone's masked at the post office. So I put my mask on because I don't want them to feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. that, you know, I I'm, I'm there breathing all over them and they don't know where I've been. So, you know, but a lot of people just aren't that considerate of each other. Uh, not that I'm particularly, you know, I like to think I'm considerate, but, but, you know, in the, just the way that, you know, some people wore it around like a challenge, uh, you know, you hear the air rage stuff and, you know, then the whole trucker convoy thing earlier this year was, was all about people not wanting to be considerate of other people. And even, you know, earlier today, there was this crazy, crazy, crazy tweet by uh, Leslie Lewis, who is uh, oh, you know, the, one of, the, one of the, Paul Ebb's uh, front, uh, front benchers. Yeah. And the perennial was, uh, also ran for the uh, conservative leadership. Yeah. And she, I say her, her, it's one of those things there. Let me, let, she's a me, very strange woman. Her well, views on things. Very odd. She, she really is. And, you know, so today she tweeted, the reality is that the uh, arrive can app fulfilled its nefarious purpose to discourage and make travel difficult like what? do you really think that's what arrive ken was for yeah it made your life a little more complicated and there is a couple of you know sort of um, you know, people who tried to make a big deal out of it. And there was a couple of, I'm sure a couple of unfortunate people who are older and couldn't, you know, do it on their cell phone and, you know, got, got kind of caught in the bureaucratic mess, but, you know, a handful of people, but, you know, her, she was basically saying that uh, some of the power crews that were coming up from Maine to help, uh, to help out in the Maritimes, you know, were delayed at the border because they didn't have the arrive can app. Now, it got sorted out really, really quickly. But of course, the conservatives are saying like, oh, the Arrive Can app. It's, but, you know, yes, it's an inconvenience and a whole bunch of other stuff. But so is customs and passport and all those other things you have to do when you're, you know, going through security to get to another country. But the idea that it, it, its nefarious purpose was to make travel difficult for citizens. It's the, the, see, yeah. That? This is this is part and parcel of that's just crazy talk. That the idea that the government wanted to shut down businesses to make the public more reliant on government handouts. And it's like where this beggars imagination. In no way does this benefit the government. In no way does having businesses shut down and uh, reducing revenue at a time when when uh, expenses are high, in no way does this benefit any government. So the idea that the government conspired with the uh, the pharma the pharma companies uh, to shut everything down and make us afraid and make us take this this uh, as they call it experimental uh, vaccine uh, the. It, it, it simply doesn't make any sense. It's the, the, the it, tell me the reason, the be, tell me the benefit to the government. Well, they want to make you dependent on them. Why? What's the benefit there? Then they can do anything they want. No, they still have to be elected. The same way they talk about Trudeau was a tyrant. Trudeau uh, went to the polls 
during COVID, when so people had a chance to uh, to, to to reflect on what he had done, his leadership and his government's leadership during COVID, and he got reelected with so, a minority. So he's still, you know, he you know, it's, it's the most precarious tyranny that there is because he depends on power on on a party that isn't his own. Yeah, they, these people don't understand what tyranny to them. Tyranny is the government taking steps that they don't like. And all those, you know, signs, uh, you know, about, uh, you know, try Trudeau for treason. It's like, do you understand what treason is? Because I, I don't think you do. Every um, time I see on Twitter somebody saying Trudeau is a traitor, I say, what did he do that makes him a traitor? And you, I never get an answer. Yeah. And, you know, and I, get, I, I, I get annoyed. I, I you know, I, I travel up into uh, area code 705 where my cottage is, uh, you know, the cottage season's almost over, but, uh, you know, you still see, you know, the, the F Trudeau flags, uh, you know, flying from their F-150s or, uh, you know, flying from the flagpoles uh, at their, uh, at their enormous uh, farms. Um, and it's like, what, tell me honestly what Trudeau did to you. I mean, yes, the pandemic was, was a uh, international tragedy, uh, tragedy and and inconvenience. Uh, if you were lucky, it was just an inconvenience. Uh, but you know, this too will pass, and the government did things to keep you from dying and keep you from killing other people. So these are temporary measures necessitated by a worldwide phenomenon. Um, it's Trudeau's fault. I mean, I suppose a conservative government, and, and we have seen them. Uh, you know, you see Bolsonaro in, in Brazil, who mm-hmm. you know poo pooed, uh, you know, COVID is a hoax and all the rest. And the numbers of people who died in Brazil are just staggering, um, because the government did not encourage people to do things. Now, in spite of the fact you, you saw places like uh, um, some of the big cities, like Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo. Uh, with almost 100% vaccination rates because they were smart enough not to listen to their government. But, uh, but uh, other, other pl- pl- um, places, who, you know, people who are easily misled by Facebook and, and fake experts and people you know, yelling freedom, uh, you, you, you've got to wonder where, where, well, you know where they're going to park their votes in the next election. And that's the other scary thing that, you know, there are politicians who are more than willing to, to profit from the division and the anger and the grievance politics. And, you know, the conservative party went out and, and elected the, the poster boy for that in Pierre Polev in their last way, which is very sad for the country. You know, I'm not a conservative, obviously, but it's, it's, there's no place in the political spectrum anymore for, for, for you know um, what we used to call progressive conservatives, you know centrists. Yeah, the centrism is uh, is gone. I mean, the liberals are the closest to the cent- to centrist party that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, of course, uh, the right wing pulling further right means the center pulls further right. Um, and I do want to talk about uh, uh, Polyev, but uh, you mentioned. Uh, worldwide phenomenon one of the phenomenons i've noticed is uh that uh online people will say make statements like it was proven that this was not about science it, you know there's a lot of it was proven it was proven and they they it's like trump they, they make these affirmative statements and people then because they want to believe them say well if this guy's saying it's proven it was probably pro-, and then they echo that it was proven and it was never proven one guy was using uh, as evidence tweets from a uh, a Twitter user. His handle was at erdocaa1. He had in his profile no name, like no real name, no indication of where he's an er doc. Like there was nothing to indicate this was actually an er doctor. Yeah, and he but- said, "But this guy's a doctor. You know more than him." Uh, so I, I emailed the guy, or t- tweeted the guy, and said. What's your credentials? Who are you? And no answer. That's always the response. No answer. And, you know, the, also the number, the, the fact that communist has come back as uh, as an insult from the right. Yes. People who people say that Trudeau is a communist. And if you support Trudeau, you're a communist. And if you ask them what a communist is, they don't really know. It's someone they disagree with. Yeah, it's somebody. Anybody, <laughs> say, is, Tr- is Trudeau trying to seize the means of production? Uh, is that? Uh, that's, you know, that's what I asked. Uh, you know, I said, 
did, uh, as far as I know, we have a, a market economy with uh, social supports. And one person said that uh, he was against socialism, against socialism. And uh, someone responded to him and said, so I guess you uh, won't be using public health care or school, public schools. And he says, those aren't those are social programs. They're not socialism. Ah. So it goes to show you they don't know what they're talking about. These people are um, Trump has has uh, sanctified this idea that uh, as Isaac Asimov to paraphrase Isaac Asimov, Isaac Asimov um, their ignorance is equal to our knowledge. Yeah. And, you know, and and both siding things that are that really only have one side, um, you know, they're, you know, they're both siding things like fascism. It's like, well, you know, they, you know as, as Trump famously did himself, you know, good people on both sides. And, you know, the result is you give oxygen to these to these idiots who normally would just be an annoyance at the family dinner table at Christmas because, you know, Uncle Stan is going on and on about uh, about some ethnic minority who's, uh, you know, stealing all the jobs. Um, now they've got megaphones and, you know, we've talked about it before, you know, everything from Facebook to Twitter to, you know, all the other platforms and now mainstream media have realized that there is money to be made in anger and ing ignorance. And, you know, even though, you know, the mainstream media wanted to be slow in, you know, and they didn't want to get in there, but they're fighting for their lives. They're fighting for attention. They're fighting for clicks. And so to a certain extent, they have to play that game with misleading headlines and keeping, you know, you know, little tiny things that aren't that, that, that would never, never have been covered in the news uh, 10 years ago. Uh, they keep it alive for days and days and days because they know that it keeps drawing eyeballs to it, which means ad revenue. And it's sad. I mean, it, and what it does is it just keeps feeding the beast of, of ignorance and anger and grievance. And, you know, every, you know all you got to do on Twitter is say, you know, we've got a lot to be thankful for. And you will get tweets like crazy. Um, I you know, While we were on hiatus, I uh, somebody in the, I've got it around here somewhere, the National Post, must have been a slow news day, uh, took exception to a tweet I did in 2020 about, that was in response to people running down Canada. I said, you know, here's a, here is a list of top five lists, top 10 lists around the world where Canada is ranked in the top three for things like quality of life. And, you know, important, you know, for the Freedom Index comes out every year. And I think this year we ranked sixth in the world. You know, the United States is down around 22, 23. Um, you know, I, so I, I had this little chart that I did two years ago and somebody called me, actually, I think it was Brian, Brian Mulroney's old chief of staff actually tweeted to me and said, Hey, you're on the front page of the national post today. And they took that tweet and they took exception to me saying, you know, Canada is not a bad place, all things considered. And they came up with all kinds of great things like, well, our cell uh, phone plans are too expensive and the port of vancouver it takes forever to get a cargo uh, um ship unloaded there and like are these the things that we're now scraping the bottom of the barrel to complain about when things like quality of life and freedom and transparency and a reliable justice system are in the top three in the world uh, but you know again this is the grievance culture we've got to find something to complain about and it's it's yeah, you know, it 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 starts to feed this idea that things are in trouble, and it feeds into the popularity of again parties that are grievance parties, whether it's uh, the Republicans south of the border or now the Conservatives uh, here up north. So, what do you think the centrist Conservatives do in the next election if Poev continues to uh, embrace uh, uh, truckers? And people of that popular people of that, I mean, the, what is it? Seventy percent of Canadians in polls opposed what the you know opposed the truckers. Uh, he embraced them. If he continues to go down that road, and he keeps talking about freedom, 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 in a country where the overwhelming majority of people don't feel their freedom is threatened, um, where do principled uh, centrist conservatives park their vote? 
Yeah, and and that's a real problem. It, it, I've spoken to a number of my conservative friends, uh, and you know, I, I like you. I have a wide spectrum. I have some people who uh, were you know were Bernier people, um, uh, and and are now Paul F people, and you know, some of them think honestly that he's he's going to be great you know he's going to you know cut red tape and get the economy moving and we don't have to worry about any of this woke crap anymore and we'll worry about our pronouns and he's going to you know set everything to rights here um and you know not spend money on you know, on the social engineering projects that you know trudeau has uh, so there is that hardcore there but there's that like you say those softer ones some of them i'm finding are fooling themselves about Paul F. they say well this is just talk he had to say that to win the uh the leadership yes yeah, so that but, about uh, trump too he doesn't really believe that stuff and he'll rule from the center when he gets in and you know that's that's not who he is well it's been who he has <laughs> it's been who he is for the last 20 years i don't know how uh, how anyone can mistake uh, you know that for that um, and then there's the other ones, which are the ones you're talking about, saying like, I've been left behind by this party. Do I hold my nose and vote for them because you know, a, I, you know, I hate, I hate Trudeau. Uh, I can't bring myself to vote liberal, or do I just stay home? And I think the jury's really out on it. Yeah, it'll be curious to see. I mean, he will mo- very much motivate a section of voters, but that section of voters is not populous enough to make the difference to get to put him um, in the prime minister's seat. He's going to turn off middle of the road voters because Canada is a basically a small L liberal country. We have small L liberal values and we reject. I mean, you know, if you combine the NDP and liberal vote, uh, you see and the Greens, you see how many people um, support liberalized policies. So we're not we're not a country like the United States that has uh, conservatism threaded all the way through it. So why like he, he can, if, if Polev continues to go in the direction he's been going and as you said, he's been doing this for years, why would he change now? I mean that was the thing that they that the conservatives, we're mad at uh, uh, O'Toole about is mm-hmm. that he talked a good game when he was running for leader and then tried policies that were a little more centrist. And when the results came in, the internal polls came into the conservatives, which said that people th- didn't trust him. And that same thing as sheer and that the, the policies did not resonate with Canadians. Their position is that we need to uh, go further right as opposed to the, the following the data, which says you were too far right already. Yeah. Yeah. Conservatives always feel they lose, lose an election because they weren't right enough. They weren't true to themselves. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it, there is, you know, I'm sure for some section of their, of their supporters, that's true. Uh, that they can, you know, they, and, and we've seen it, we've seen how conservatives sort of eat their own when it comes to uh, post-election, you know, d- dissecting oh, yes. why they failed, you know, Tool fell to that, Shear fell to that. It's interesting, you know, Shear, since, um, you know, he's, he's now twice removed, if you follow his, uh, his social media posts, he's become really, really right wing. I mean, like really right wing and really kind of that right wing Christian Bible thumping, um, it's it, it's really surprising, you know, considering that he had this kind of bland, tried to have a, a sort of centrist uh, um, persona when it came to the election. And and as soon as he doesn't, you know, he doesn't care anymore because he's not going to be prime minister. And he's uh, he's really revealed himself or turned himself into, uh, you know, a real you know right wing nut. Um, the uh, it, it, and so you never know what's in somebody's heart. Because, you know, they, they say one thing in order to get elected and they act a different way. But I think Paul Everett is, is, is hoping uh, for the, you know, the Doug Ford phenomenon in Ontario here where uh, you know, nobody would have thought Doug Ford was a, a good candidate for premier. Right. Just, you know, <clears throat> just based on, on politics and family history. I mean, got the disaster of Rob Ford and, you know, and Doug was always known as sort of Rob's uh, uh, less charismatic brother. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And but you know, but for the fact that the Wynn government was 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 old and creaky, and the Liberals always kind of defeat themselves just by out of old old age. And I think Polev is looking for that opportunity, not because his policies are popular, not because he's popular, but because the time will come where Justin Trudeau has been around too long for most voters, and they're going to be like, ah, hell, let's give someone else a try. How bad could it be? And you know, and that has always been just a recipe for disaster in politics. Oh, uh, you you see what happens because yeah, there is uh, voter fatigue um, when somebody's been around a long time. There's the idea, you know what? We need a change. There's there's two times when the public feels they need a change. One when things are bad. Two when things are good. They feel comfortable making a change when things are good. And then when things are bad, they say we need a change in leadership. They're more likely to stay with the existing leadership when things are bad than when things are good, because yeah. they're afraid that at least now they know what the situation is. They don't know what the next person's going to do. So yeah. uh, if so, Trudeau's got to walk a line. And you know, I, I don't know why he keeps saying he's going to lead the party into the next election. He really, I, I, I suppose, their internal polling shows that he continues to be the most popular, but that polling is not, you can't trust it because they haven't, people haven't had a chance to see other potential leaders in the leadership position. So they aren't really able to properly assess who they think would be the best leader. So I, you know, I, I just wonder if it's, if it's liberal internal polling that's keeping him there or is it some kind of uh, uh, Trudeau-esque arrogance? Because I think that uh, I saw uh, an article today that said that uh, uh, Melanie Jolie is somebody to watch for as possibly Trudeau's protege. Uh, Freeland is starting to get the sense that if Trudeau's going to stick around, there's nowhere for her to go up. So talking about that uh, NATO position that she's yep. interested in, uh, because you know she can go there and come back. Yeah, and park it there for a little while, and yeah, yeah, because you know somebody that ambitious doesn't want to be in a role where there's no advancement possible in the immediate future. So, you know, if Palev's going to be a a fresh face and people want to change, well, okay, don't do the Kim Campbell change, um, yeah. but the idea of of somebody else out there because the, there is such a intrinsic dyed in the wool reflexive hatred of trudeau amongst a portion of the population they don't like what he represents uh they don't like you know the values that he espouses loudly uh and proudly now he's the, the woke stuff as people call it that's been really subdued since the blackface picture came out um he is making less statements like, you know, it's it's because it's 2019 or whatever the hell his statement was back then um, or, or 2016 about why the, the there was a gender parity in cabinet. He's less given to speaking in those kind of codes, I guess, because the initial he initially did it because they needed to cut the NDP off at the knees. They needed to get people who would normally support the NDP, soft NDP support to cross over to the liberals. And so they spoke that language and, and that's what they did. Uh, now he's, I, I think they realize he's got less credibility on that. And so they don't push it. Um, the liberals also are terrible at trumpeting their accomplishments. We've talked about this before. Their, their communications people are awful. Uh, there are things the government has done which are which are good decisions which are laudable and have had good good results um we don't hear about it the they basically allow the opposition press and the opposition to define trudeau as as they want to without putting uh, putting out any kind of uh energetic not a rebuttal but an energetic presentation of what they've done that has been successful you know i mean trudeau saved the country with Serb, as far as I'm concerned. Um, people would have been uh, living on the street. This is not an exaggeration. People would not have been able to pay their rent. They would have been on the street. They wouldn't have had money for food. Like it, He saved the country 
from uh, going straight down the tubes. And that's why it recovered fairly well economically after the after COVID. I mean, even with inflation, I understand we have one of the lowest inflation rates in the G7. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the country is being stewarded in a responsible fashion. Then there's those, he raised the deficit higher than any government in history. Yeah, because he was facing a, a, a historic situation. It's like when people would uh, talk about how Harper went back on his idea about deficits and ran a deficit. Yeah, to be fair, he was dealing with a giant financial crisis. He, he, you know, there are times and circumstances when governments really don't have very many choices as to what what they can do. Um, so Trudeau saved, you know, the federal government saved the country during COVID. He showed a lot of leadership every day, giving a giving a, a speech and an update. Um, talk about that. Talk yeah. about the the uh, the fact that we've got lower inflation than than some of our peers. Talk about the uh, the benefits. That talk about the the changes that they're going to make to the uh, to disability. Is that federal? Uh, you know what? I should have checked that before we talked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There. Well, there's there, some of it's federal, some of it's provincial. Yeah. But talk about that, because uh, quite frankly, the dis what was, people were on disability were being paid before was oh shocking. It it it, it made them eat cat food. Um. It it it's bad enough to be disabled in the sense that. You don't get to fully enjoy the world the same way people who don't have your challenges do. It's but to make them um, to humiliate them and yeah. make them live in poverty and underline every single day just how they are different from everybody. Like that, that, that's not the purpose of of disability, um, a disability coverage. Yeah, it's and, not. It's not to make you uncomfortable enough to go back out and work, which is you know the conservative uh, view of 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 uh, you know um, EI and things like that. You know, you don't want anyone to be too comfortable. If you're disabled, you're disabled, and it's not. You're not home because you're choosing to be home. You're 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 home because you're unable to work because of uh, something that's happened to you. Um, and, and and you're right. I mean, there are all of these accomplishments that the the, the government has been been poor at communicating. I think the government. Uh, you know, I, I think the Trudeau government in recent years has has become more of a government. I mean, there there was a period where there was a lot of, uh, of of social talk, and you know, people felt like they were being nagged and chided. And we had you know, we had the uh, the um, the indigenous um, uh, portfolio come to the forefront for a long, long time because of the discovery of the of the uh, the unmarked. Uh, graves and in, in the grave sites at the residential schools that dominated the news cycle and even though all of this stuff happened long before trudeau was even born um you know the government of the day wears that and has to respond to it and you know there's no there's not much you can do that's going to make people feel happier uh, about that at, uh, so you know the government takes a hit for that but in the last little while i think the government has really been governing more um, it's you know the nuts and bolts of of the boring stuff that uh, you know you're, you're building and buying ships or airplanes you're building roads you're doing infrastructure you're doing you know the, the boring good work that government does and um, you know it's not as sexy as as having gender parity in the cabinet and all those sort of early initiatives but it is important and it does become sort of a stable uh, prosperous government as long as the international uh, economy uh, um, cooperates a little bit mm -hmm. and like you say you know we have done better than than most uh, i think you know, the international econ economic community recognizes that canada has done has come through covid among the best in the world countries because of what you know our reaction to everything from vaccine mandates to our social welfare programs to serb to you know uh, uh, supports for for business so people didn't lose as many businesses as they might have that they uh, you know didn't lose their houses because they didn't have uh, income coming in they you know they weren't thrown out on the street or like you said you know eating eating cat food um you know, there's recognition that we have done better than that. And that is not good news for grievance parties because, you know, they they want to convince you that you've never had it worse. And that's the reason for the change. 
Um, and you know that that's that's the drum that they keep beating. But I keep thinking that Polev may be in some senses good for Trudeau because Trudeau needs a a scrappy opponent in order to rise to the occasion. Um, it's and Trudeau is a good scrapper in a pinch. He is, but you know, we we all get complacent. We all get a little bit lazy, and we get a little unfocused, and follow our own little pet projects. But if you get somebody sitting across the aisle from you that challenges you every day, and you know, and, and gives you, you know, gives you gives you a tough time, then I think uh, you know, Justin Trudeau rises to that occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether he can keep it up, you know, it's it, you know, as long as the uh, the NDP remains happy with the deal and dental care moves forward and all those sorts of good things then you know it's going to be two years before the next federal election anyway that's a long time to you know fall in love or or fall out of love with with any leader but i think you know this has given trudeau some real opposition which he hasn't had before you know tool was was no real opposition Singh is not opposition uh in any meaningful way he doesn't challenge um trudeau or the government um, you know, they get in a good one-liner once in a while, but that's, you know, that's not opposition. That's just, you know, being the class clown. Um, that doesn't get you any votes. But I think Polev can really reinvigorate the front bench of the government to explain their positions, to push back, uh, to make known some of the things that they have and, and are going to do. And maybe, you know, make Trudeau, a, you know, a more, uh, a more vocal, more, more, um, more effective leader, which, you know, after as many years as it's been, you, you coast a little bit, you get comfortable. And I think uh, he has, uh, Paul Everett is in a good position to make Trudeau a little uncomfortable for him to, uh, to perform a little better. I think that uh, Trudeau's speech during the uh, convoy, uh, where he cited a fringe minority, I think that's his deplorables speech, which continues to haunt uh, the Democrats in the states, the one you know, Hillary Clinton said that uh, some of the people who support uh, supported yeah. Trump were a basket, basket of, of deplorables. deplorables. You know, she said some of them, but then that was that was magnified uh, by the people on who were supporting Trump as her saying that everybody who supported Trump was a deplorable, and so they adopted the term deplorables. Uh, you see it on social media. It's a badge of honor. Yeah. And you've got people now in Canada saying we're part of the fringe minority. I see it on trucks. I saw it on somebody's shirt. Um, yeah, not quite as sexy. No, but it. And I saw a dialogue on Twitter where they attempted where, where the person attempted to prove that Trudeau said that everybody who was anti-vax were a fringe minority of uh, racists and misogynists and so they would post his actual his actual words whereas if you look at the words it's very clear he said some he did specify some um and and did not in you know went to pains to not paint all of them in that brush but to them uh it's an interesting thing why do you think he's talking about you is the question i have if you're not a misogynist or a racist, why are you adopting the fringe minority um, tag if that's not you? Why are you associating and identifying with those people? Um, and the answer is because it's been oversimplified to the point where people have said, no, he just said that that uh, everybody who was anti-vax was a fringe minority. And he didn't do that. But it's once again a case where perception is much stronger than reality, especially amongst that crowd who uh, are not particularly attached to analysis, critical thinking, or facts. Yeah, yeah, and and you know that is that is the the, the problem now that you know you're able to to sway large numbers of people who are you know and we had a I think we did a, an entire podcast about this at one point uh, about how there is you know a lot of people unhappy and there's a lot to be unhappy about I mean COVID is not a happy thing and the things that you got to do to cope with COVID not happy things and being sick is not a happy thing and you know and the economy you know right now there's worldwide uh, you know inflationary pressures um, there's uh, you know, rising interest rates you know and interest rates are rising into 
I got, got, you know, my, my first mortgage on my house, I think was, I, uh, and we went to like a guy in an alley and uh, got, got like 13 and a half percent on our mortgage and thought we were making it like bandits. Uh, I remember 20% interest rates. I do um, remember that in the eighties. Yeah. In the, in the early eighties. And what it did is it, you know, there was a housing bubble and it cleared out the housing bubble. That was for sure. That, that was for sure. Because all these people who are speculating uh, couldn't make their mortgages as the rates went up and up and up. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden there's tons of inventory of houses on the market, which all the house prices then crashed and made houses affordable. But, you know, what people want now, of course, is, well, they want low interest rates, but they want affordable houses. Um um, and you know the economy's a, this this strange uh, series of, of of levers where you pull one and something happens on the other side of the room and that's usually what it is. But people have got things you know that they're unhappy about and they love to hear that they're un, that someone feels their unhappiness and that whatever bad thing is happening happening to them is not their fault. And even better if you can pin it on somebody else. You can say it's that guy over there or you know. It wasn't that long ago. It was immigrants. You know, they're coming and taking the jobs. You're, you know, buying up all the houses. You know, you still hear it in, in Vancouver. You know, the Chinese are coming over and buying all the houses. And that's why no one can buy a house. And they're all so expensive. It's all those damn immigrants, mm-hmm. um, you know, stealing your jobs. You know, we, you know, there's always been a scapegoat for things like this. And the political parties that, that benefit from that have, uh, you know, found that that is fertile ground to tell some people. Uh, and and twist the words of other politicians to say, look, that guy doesn't care about you. He calls you a fringe minority, a basket of deplorables, a you know, a misogynist, a racist, and it allows them to focus their anger, focus their discontent about everything that's going on in their lives, from COVID interest rates to inflation to you know, the, to uh, you know, losing your hair, um, and allows you to say, you know, this guy gets me. I'm going to vote for them. And we're seeing it all over. We're seeing it in elections all over Europe. We saw it. With Trump in the states, I mean, Trump was, you know, you know, supposedly a billionaire. Apparently, he, he's not, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, supposedly a billionaire who said, "I understand you. You know, I understand your pain. I am one of you," which you know couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, we see it with, you know, Doug Ford and Rob Ford here in Ontario. You know, they got elected because they were one of you. They were the kind of guy you want to have a beer with. They understand. You know, forget that. They were both millionaires too, um, and and you know inherited a uh, a business from from their family, but they convinced people that they were just just plain folks and and they could understand their pain. Um, so there's you know there's a real appetite for that, and unfortunately, like I said, it usually ends badly. Yeah, it usually does, and it's I think also that COVID. I mean, there will be we're not far enough out of it or, or distanced from it yet, but. Um, I think COVID had a really deleterious effect on the national psyche. I think a lot more people um, feel anxious, um, feel down, don't know why they're feeling uncertain. Uh, I think that that, uh, the uncertainty of what was going on, the isolation some people felt um, or felt trapped with with another person in a a dwelling, uh, I, I think that it just... It, it was a shock to the system, and I don't think we're anywhere near close to identifying just how much it affected mental health across the country. Yeah, no, I, I just uh, finished reading a book, uh, interesting book by Mary Trump, who is uh, Donald Trump's niece, yes. the, the psychologist who uh, you know is, is no fan of her uncle. Yeah. A book called The Reckoning, and she's got a chapter in there about the psych, you know, psychological effects of COVID on everybody, yeah. and you know, of course, it always affects people differently. So it's a broad generalization, but it, and it never occurred to me that you know that everyone is is basically suffering from PTSD as a result of COVID because of, you know, we've, we had uh, problems with our relationships. We weren't able to see the people that we wanted. We weren't, we weren't able to socialize. We weren't able to go to the places that we wanted. You know, we were cut off from the familiar, Um, you know, all these sorts of things that isolated us socially has really created, even in people who weathered it supposedly pretty well, it really, like you said, changed our psyche. It really has going to have lasting psychological effects, you know, not just on adults you know, who may have lost, uh, you know, relationships and family, um, people who died and you couldn't mourn properly, you know, but children who couldn't go to school and be socialized. All of these things are going to have long-term effects that we haven't 
figured out yet. Um, and again, it kind of feeds into that sort of uh, need among people to, to, you know, to find an answer. And, uh, you know, as uh, there's a, a Swiss, uh, a Swiss uh, philosopher uh, named Jacob Burkhardt, who said, uh, you know, there's always a simple answer to every problem. The problem is it's always wrong. It's always wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll, uh, we will see. We will see. I think that it certainly uh, contributes to the sense of disquiet that some people are feeling. And we'll have to see how, how that plays out long term. It'll be mul it, multiple manifestations. And but we won't, you know, you need a little distance. You, you need to be out of COVID first. Uh, I think we're out of the lockdown period because, you know, we've talked about this before. I don't think anybody is willing to lock down again. Um, so governments are saying, well, we've pushed them to their limit because, I mean, it's, we're getting into winter. That's yeah. when uh, COVID rates go up again. Yeah, and we I all think, go inside and we breathe on each other. That's And the government, I think, is is saying, look, if we try to do what we did before, people are widespread, even people who were who were, were good before, they're fed up. Um, it's not going to happen. So what can we do to mitigate it um, that isn't as far as we went before? Because we can't. Because people, even people of, of, of goodwill, uh, they, I just don't think that they can do it again. I think no. that it'll make people will snap. Yeah, and you know, and, and you know, the last thing you want if you're a politician is a, is a, a crank your electorate. So I think you're right. I think there's lots of good medical reasons to wear masks still. I mean, they've just rolled out the the new booster shot. Um, it'll be interesting to see how much uptake there is on that because every time they roll out a new shot, you get you know lower and lower numbers mm -hmm. of people who are willing to do it. And you know the, the the idea that we're going to you know close restaurants and businesses again, which we haven't even really got back to in in, a, in any meaningful way, um, you know office spaces and all the rest. There's absolutely no political will or appetite to do that because they know that it's political suicide. Even though all the science says, yeah, you should still be doing all of this stuff, simple stuff like masking, and you know whether it's on an airplane or on transit or you know standing at the post office, you should be masking. Um, you should be, uh, you know, if you're, you, you should still be avoiding big events, you know, or, uh, there, while I had COVID, I missed a wedding, uh, that we were uh, going to go to a friend's wedding. And it turns out like a third of the people at that wedding got COVID. Mm. So it's still out there in big numbers, but there just isn't, you know, we're all tired of it. Um, and uh, there's just enough of the population that would revolt if you tried to do anything. Yeah. So we're not going to... We've talked before how there was going to come a time where we had to learn to live with COVID. There's just there was just no way out. We're never going to we're not going to eliminate it. Um, and we're going to have to determine that there are uh, acceptable losses, certain number of acceptable losses or accept, acceptable consequences. And we're at that point now. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, you know, I'm not sure they're going to ever be acceptable, but, you know, we've we've decided we're going to accept them. Yes. Well, I mean, it, it's still it, going to be terrible and it's still going to be tragic. But, uh, you know, well, if it's just... your if it's somebody if you lose somebody, um, then no, it's not acceptable. But, um, you know, one person is a tragedy. Uh, a thousand people is a statistic. Yeah. And you, you can't really get behind a statistic. It just becomes cold numbers. The, it, I forget who said back in uh, when Rob Ford was uh, mayor, said every number over a million dollars to Rob Ford is the same. <laughs> yeah. And and there there's a lot of that going on with COVID right now because you could be publishing the numbers. I mean, every once in a while, there are still a few, few lonely voices, some public health uh, officials with real credentials, real doctors. Uh, not your ER doctor, yeah. um, who who publish the numbers and they they find it hard to get the numbers out of public health because you know no one wants to report them anymore because everyone right. everyone wants to literally whistle through the graveyard. Mm -hmm. um, but it's shocking when I see those numbers. Not you know, and I will repeat them because I think it's important for people to know that this thing isn't over and that it is still killing you know thousands of people. Um, uh, it's it, and people just kind of look at the numbers and the reaction is like wow that's that's 
I had no idea. They say, well, no, of course you have no idea because everyone is looking the other way right now because we don't want to face that truth. And we've decided collectively as governments, as people, we don't want to face that truth anymore because that truth has just been too ugly and we're just too tired. Yeah. And that's probably a good place for us to uh, bring it to a close for today. Ugly and tired. Yes. Ugly and tired. <laughs> that's the best place. Um, we will try to be uh, more uh, regular with this show. I appreciate the people who have been waiting for it and are, are who've been calling for it. Yeah. Clamoring so, for it. Yeah. The mobs. All three of you. Yes. That have been gathering. That's <laughs> right. They gather in a bus shelter. Um, so uh, we'll try to be on more often. Um, and uh, thank you for your patience and waiting for us to come back. Yes. Well, and, and, uh, and, and Stephen, I said before, ha happy new year to you. It's, oh, it's, Ra you it's Rosh Hashanah. We're, we're in Rosh Hashanah yeah, yes. still. Yes. Uh, started on uh, sun, uh, sundown on Sunday, didn't it? It did. It did. There so we go. Thank you for that greeting. Um, and to everybody listening. A sweet who, new year to everybody. Yeah. Everyone who observes uh, the Jewish new year, wishing you uh, the Shana Tova, a happy, sweet new year. And uh, we will be back soon. That's the most I'm willing to commit to. Okay, well, fair enough. <laughs> and I'll be uh, back with you if you'll have me. <laughs> I, I, always. Uh, Stephen Lawton's can be found on Twitter. He's uh, at Stephen Lawton's, which is spelled S-T-E-P-H-E-N-L-A-U-T-E-N-S. Um, uh, I would follow him if I were you. I do follow him. Uh, a lot of uh, intelligent uh, uh, information and satire. Um and it, it's it's a, a good workout for your brain. Yeah, so, see if you can tell the difference between the two. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I'm Stephen Kersner, and you've been listening to Stephen and Stephen. <laughs>